When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, welcome back. So today I want to take some time to actually talk about why I am preparing for this coronavirus, this COVID-19. And and that seems like almost a, an obvious title, right? We're all preparing. And I think, you know, since day one, since, you know, I was looking the other day, January 21st, that was when I first started discussing this coronavirus. We've all been, to some extent, mentally preparing. But yesterday I actually did something that, that I hadn't really done before, you know, in the last couple of weeks. And that is actually bought some things to prepare in anticipation of some of the long-term side effects of a, a relatively severe uh, virus spreading through the United States, through the, the global economy. And, and it wasn't anything drastic. Honestly, it was things that I, for the most part, would use anyways. But it's sort of, in my mind, earmarked for in the future in case there's shortages or it's something I don't feel like doing, uh, going out in public or or if, if the prices rise significantly. I'm talking dog food, uh, diapers for my you know two daughters, um, and then, of course, some, some food. But food that we would have eaten, for the most part, anyways, right? Real low-risk stuff. If anything, you're just saving for the future in the form of, of food and other supplies, right? Um, and it's something I'll probably do in the future. Uh, again, I'm in Minnesota. I'm not in Washington. I'm not in California where this some of these recent outbreaks, which, by the way, I, I sort of predicted last week, last Monday, I think I said, you know, a week from now, we'll have evidence of community spreading in the United States. And lo and behold, we do. Right. An entire nursing home and in many other cases of of community spreading in the United States. In fact, there's an evidence. There's one uh, individual who who. Again, I'm not going to bring it up. I don't know its exact name, but but had tweeted out somebody that's knowledgeable in this stuff that the sequencing from this one of these recent cases in Washington, the sequencing of the virus, this COVID-19, the, the SARS-CoV-2 virus, was very similar to the same sequencing from I think the first confirmed case in the United States from like six weeks prior. We're talking, you know, the second half of January. Very similar indicating that there's a very good chance that this virus was basically a direct descendant from that individual or whoever infected that individual, etc. And that it's basically been community spreading in Washington that entire time, six weeks, maybe longer. Which, you know, if if a doubling time is one week, which it may be a little faster, but if we use one week for, for this virus... Um, again, maybe a little faster in, in a society that's just not, you know, up until very recently making a whole lot of precautions against exposure. Uh, you know, if, if that was the only case in Washington, well, in six weeks, you're going from one to two to four to eight to 16 to 32. But even that isn't really consistent with what we're seeing in Washington. In fact, we saw, um, uh, I think what Scott Gottlieb, um, former, I don't know if that's how you say his last name, former FDA, uh, head of the FDA, say that, you know, the, the case count actually is likely in the low thousands, 
right? And and we're just not seeing it because we aren't really testing much until this week. You know, CDC and and other agencies or other you know uh, they're they're recruiting the help of healthcare organizations or even academic institutions. They're finally ramping up their testing now. But again, um, I'm in northern Minnesota, so the the panic isn't really here yet, and, and I see that as a as an opportunity to get ahead of it. But why am I preparing? Well, I'll start from here. You can think of this as front-running the market, right? For those of you financially-minded folks, front-running the market. You're, you're doing what eventually is going to happen anyways ahead of time. And that is going out and buying all these supplies. Eventually, in Minnesota or in Illinois or North Carolina or, or pick your state or province elsewhere or country elsewhere in the world, you know, what we're seeing in Washington or, or you know, Northern Italy or whatever in terms of, of panic buying and whatnot, that's likely to hit your area. Maybe some areas worse than others, but there's a good chance that regardless of if the case count is all that high at that point in time, it's going to happen, right? And I personally um, would be curious to see how long those shortages occur, considering this is already uh, causing a fairly significant um, supply chain disruption, right? So that's kind of reason number one, because I expect other people to do it. And I'm worried, you know, is there going to be a shortage of some of these goods in the future? I like to get them ahead of time. Reason number two, I certainly don't want to be preparing once the virus is already in my community. Because again, I'll be doing it at the same time as a whole bunch of other people that are panic buying at their local Walmart or Sam's Club or Costco or what have you. And, you know, the odds of contracting it are are much higher at that point in time. Reason number three, I expect there to be a period of time in the future in which maybe voluntary, maybe forced, you know, quarantine, similar to what we've seen in China, for various communities, uh, cities, countries, states around the world and in the United States, uh, where, where that will be the reality, where people just don't really go out, you know, unless they're essential uh, type of job that they do as far as public service. Like I'm not talking like county auditor, but like firefighter, right? Maybe they need to go out still. Uh, maybe if you work at a hospital, uh, nursing home, things like that. And even that, I mean, is I'll get to more of that later on, but, but even that, you know, I mean, you know, those types of jobs, maybe you work at a power plant, <laughs> waste disposal. Those are all types of things where, you might still be going to work, but if you're again a county auditor, maybe not, right? If you're if you're in marketing, I mean, it's just not. They'll say stay home, right? Schools will say stay home, and that alone will probably cause a lot of parents to say, "Hey, I can't come in. My kids are home. The daycares are closed as well. You know, churches, religious services, um, even big events. You know, think of of you know what happens around that May and June time period each year." Uh, massive graduation ceremonies all over the country. Yeah, those may or may not happen in some places. Sporting events, you know, major sports, NFL, NBA, MLB, you know, we're coming up on the season, at least in MLB, NBA's ongoing, hockey's ongoing, uh, you know, racing, NASCAR, um, concerts, all those things potentially could not happen, but also just the everyday things, you know, going to the store and whatnot. Stores might not be open. Restaurants might not be open, right? So that's kind of reason number three. I anticipate there'd be a time in which there's going to be a, a volu- at least a voluntary self-quarantine in a lot of communities. And, and again, with all this, if I'm wrong, 
this is all stuff I'm going to be using anyway. So it's really inconsequential. It's, it's sort of a no-brainer, if you will, right? Uh, reason number four. You know, I expect at this point that there's a good likelihood that I'll, at some point, along with most of the people listening to this, contract uh, this COVID-19, contract the SARS-CoV-2 virus. Just based on likelihood. You know, the, you see those estimates, which I think are not at all alarmist, that eventually, you know, 60% or more of the United States will contract. And I'm sure that's the same is true for Canada or Australia or whatever. It's going to vary from place to place, but there's a good chance of it. And if it's not this spring or this summer, it'll be next fall or next winter or spring. You know, it, it there's a good chance it'll happen eventually. Now, for my age group, I'll probably survive. Unless it mutates, which... Uh, might be another reason on this list here, uh, but I'll probably survive. You know, the odds of me dying, I don't really have any comorbidities. I'm in pretty decent health, all things considered. I'll probably be fine. My wife will probably be fine. My kids will probably be fine. Her parents might be at slightly higher risk. My wife's parents in their 40s. Her grandmother, certainly higher risk in her 60s, right? You know, and so there's, you know, you start to realize that there's a lot of people that you may know and love as part of your family, maybe people you work with and again, healthcare or other settings that are actually at very high risk. Hey, do you know what population is going to be at extremely high risk based on their age? Politicians. I mean, we already see it in Iran. A huge, like four people are already uh, officials in the country dead, right? Certainly signifying that the actual death toll in Iran is much higher than what's being reported. Still at the last time I checked in double digits. But but hey, um, you know, there's, there's reason to suspect that, you know. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran could be, have been exposed, if not infected with COVID-19, right? And what about our own Congress? What about our own... Uh, uh, president and officials and mayors and and uh, city officials and all that. I mean, they're all potentially going to be, along with a whole lot of other older people. Plus, there'll be people my age. There'll be people in their 30s, their 40s, their 50s that are going to die in their teens. Unfortunately, probably younger than that as well. When you look at the broader population, right? And so, again, I, there's a low likelihood that I'm going to die from it good likelihood that I'll contract it probably, but low likelihood, very low likelihood. With that being said, I'd like to maximize my chance of surviving, meaning I don't want to be going, needing hospitalization. I certainly don't want to have other people, 40s, 50s, 60s that I know and may may spread the virus to, going to the hospital because they're having trouble breathing, their O2 saturation is dropping, labor breathing, all those signs and symptoms. I don't want them to go to the hospital at the same time as one in 10 of every other person in my community or one in five. Either way, one in 20 would overload the current hospital system. One in 50. I mean, the hospitals are already 
pretty darn full, right? So I don't want that happening, right? I would much rather be, you know, given an individual doctor or an individual hospital, I'd much rather be the 10,000th victim treated or patient treated with COVID-19 than the 10th or the 20th, right? That's part of why I'm preparing. Is that reason number four? I think I'm on reason number five here. What if it mutates? I mean, that happened with the the, the so-called Spanish flu, which actually has some interesting parallels to this in the sense of how governments are approaching it. You know, back then it was called the Spanish flu because that was, you know, Spain was not... It started spreading during World War II towards the end. Spain was not really involved in World War II, as as I recollect. Portugal was. I don't think Spain was. And because of that, that was one of the few countries in Europe and the Americas that was reported in the spread of this new flu, hence the term Spanish flu. Even though it was spreading in the U.S. and, and certainly France and Germany and the U.K., Spain was the only one that reported on it for a while got dubbed the Spanish flu. Maybe it should have been called the French or the American or whatever flu. I don't know where it originated from. I'm sure some, some, I'm sure it's documented. They have some good theories though. Um, but anyways, the first wave of that was deadly, but not overly deadly. The second wave was far deadlier because of mutations. Mutations are totally normal from generation to generation with these types of, you know, RDNA or, or, or RNA, I should say, um, viruses, which is, you know, that's the category this coronavirus is in. Generally, they're they're non-consequential. They don't really affect transmissibility for the most part or symptoms or their mechanism. Of, but they can mutate in pretty significant ways. And, you know, with this type of microevolution over a short period of time, oftentimes the viruses that survive and are spread on are the ones that are spread most easily or or, you know, cause the patient to to go to a hospital and spread it or, or whatever, you know. Those are the ones that are oftentimes spread. Um, not to say it can't mutate the other way too. But again, it's, it's really a no-risk proposition for me to prepare at this point, right? And so, you know, the purpose of, of me doing these videos for over a month now, and even this video's podcast, even this one today, is again, not to spread fear, but to say that preparing ahead of time is prudent. Because you don't want to be caught going to Costco along with hundreds of other people, big lines out the door, which potentially may be carriers of this COVID-19. You want to be prepared to self-quarantine. Maybe not because you're going to die, although I'm sure many of my listeners are high-risk populations, comorbidities or elderly. You guys are important to me, right? When people tout out, well, it's a 2% death rate. My counter to that is, yeah, but what if the hospital is full? What happens to the death rate then? Does it double? Does it triple? And, hey, I I actually think, you know, people over 70, 60, over 80, people with COPD and, and asthma and diabetes and heart disease, and I think you guys actually have a fair bit of value, intrinsic value each human has, but also, you know, even just from a utilitarianism standpoint, which I'm not always a big fan of, but you guys have utility for for society even, right? Plus, I mean, there's also the, the you know, even if you don't die, that doesn't mean you don't go to the hospital and, and it, there's a huge cost involved with that. I mean, this all around, I just would like to extend as long as possible before I and, and potentially my family or loved ones or whatever end up with this COVID-19. That's why I'm preparing. 
The final bit I want to talk about was masks. Do surgical masks work? Do they work? Short answer, yes. I mean, we see, you know, all these experts, even the the, the uh, Surgeon General tweeted out, stop buying masks. And it's such a, you know, somebody else had tweeted out about how this is such a poor way to build trust in the government, which I think is definitely going to be struggling with that aspect of trust for a while now because of how they've really mishandled. And I'm not, this is not necessarily a shot at Trump or anything, although I think that can be said for him. Just in general, the CDC and whatnot, They've handled this very poorly compared to the model that Singapore or Hong Kong or South Korea has set forward. Not that they're perfect, but but they screwed up a lot of things. And I think to tell people that masks, not to use or buy masks because they don't work, is dishonest and it does not build trust. Do you want to know the truth about masks? Masks help. Now, with a caveat, caveat of... Yes, masks are more important for healthcare workers because they're most likely to be exposed. But if you want a mask and you can get your hands on one, I personally bought a bunch of N95s back in January. I got them relatively cheap. I got them before the panic buying really began. Um, They'll help you, especially N95s and whatnot. But even the other ones have some value. They're not going to fully protect you. N95 is not going to fully protect you or your airways, even if you have a perfect fit. They're not. But they give you a pretty good chance of missing out on being infected. Yes, healthcare workers are more likely to be exposed. But if you can get your hands on one or if you have some, again, do it in responsible ways. Don't be that guy or gal that goes into the hospital ER and grabs a a box of them and runs out. That's not... That's not classy at all. Healthcare workers need them, but don't buy the lie that masks don't work for average people in the street or in the store or whatever. They do. Why else would healthcare workers be using them? Now, it's true in some cases, healthcare workers use masks, certain types of masks, not the N95 masks, mostly to protect the patients from their respiratory secretions and whatnot versus protect themselves from the patient right? But N95s check both those boxes, especially when fitted properly. It is not that difficult. Find a YouTube video on it to use them safely and correctly, right? But even the other ones, they're not going to offer you full protection at all. But there's something. First of all, yes, if you are asymptomatic carrier, they're going to make it more difficult for you to spread the the illness, especially if you're coughing and whatnot, sneezing. Uh, But in addition to that, you know, in theory, they're, they're going to offer a bit of protection. If nothing else, they're going to help you touch your face less. But, but I mean, they're, they're going to, maybe against large droplets, could offer some protection. I'm not convinced they'd offer a whole lot. But N95s, yeah, they're, they're going to help you. No matter what, CDC, right? yes, washing your hands is important, but masks are important as well if you feel you need them. That's, I mean, that is science. If they didn't work, healthcare workers wouldn't use them. And so to say anything else, that the public doesn't need them, I mean, again, that's, that's classic government's talk there. You don't need that. But to say that the public doesn't need them or that they're ineffective is simply dishonest. It is not true. But as always, I'd like to thank you from the bottom of my heart for tuning in to today's podcast. And God bless.